Welcome to Surviving Society, a political podcast from a sociological perspective. So we're three PhD students and every two weeks we're going to be talking about things that have annoyed us uh, in the news, in our daily lives and we're just going to quickly introduce ourselves. I'm Chantelle. I'm Saskia. I'm Tiso. And actually we've had a few requests to say what our research interests are, so what we're doing our PhDs on. So Chantelle, what's your PhD on? My PhD is about uh, mixed race families in Britain. Um, and in particular, I'm looking at um, a monocultural space in Britain, i.e. a space which is predominantly, predominantly has um, white people. Um, I am looking at how we need to dismantle our, our ideas about certain racialized groups and in, in this respect about families. So there are lots of stereotypes and generalizations that we make about mixed race families. Mm -hmm. And what I'm interested in is unpicking these, um, particularly with regards to gender, um, race and class. And hopefully in the long term, I'd love to have an impact on some sort of social policy with how we hand, I mean, I say handle, how we <laughs> think we need to handle difference in the UK. Yeah. Cool. So what are you doing your PhD on? Um, mine is on online radicalisation, but from the point of view of the far right. So I'm looking at how right-wing discourse online is influencing mainstream discourse and becoming normalised. So I'm looking at how that has an effect on culture yeah. and how discourse has become hardened around, well, I don't know, outdated concepts almost. So yeah. And then my research is on people from the north of England living in London. So it's about uh, migration within the UK and trying to complicate ideas of um, sort of the north-south divide and what the south sees northerness as. Also it's about like identity and home and don't really know because I've only just started, but stay tuned for insights on the north of England in London. Um, yeah, so Chantal, do you want to kick off what's been making you angry this week? Okay, so what's been making me angry this week starts with basically a bit of a statement um, or a question. Why do you think your gym membership at Pure Gym is so cheap? Um, and I'm going to try and answer that and then think about what it means for working conditions um, in the UK at the moment. So if you don't know already, Pure Gym is the largest uh, gym franchise in the UK. It's one of the fastest growing companies actually in the UK. Um, it was founded by Peter Roberts, who was the CEO but is now the chairman. Voted um, on the stock market. There's 180 gyms in the UK. It's got over 450,000 members. They're hoping to have a further 300 gyms on 450,000 members. Bloody hell. They're hoping to have, on top of the 180 gyms they have in the UK, they're hoping to add another 300 by 2020. Um, it has five directors now, all are male. It's estimated by the stock exchange to be worth between 75 million euros and 100 million euros. So it's a very big company. And just to give you a little bit of rhetoric from the inside of Pure Gym, then their current CEO, who when discussing how fast the gym franchise has grown, um, his name is, sorry, his name is Humphrey Cobbold. He said that its rapid growth has caused some unexpected pains for the company. But Humphrey says there is always a solution and it tends to be in the men and women behind the idea. 
The best remedy has been to hire highly talented people and to stay focused on our members and our core mission. And then just further to that, on their Twitter page, they say, we believe everyone should have the opportunity to enjoy a fit and healthy lifestyle. Now, the way the gym actually runs is facilitated by what I would argue is a, a general manager and, a, and an assistant manager. Now, these two people are paid a salary. Then you have, in each gym, up to 12 personal, around 12, sorry, 12 personal trainers who they ha uh, have the option of two different ways of working within that environment. Um, they can be employed on a self-employed basis. Now what that means is they, can, they, are, they have to work 15 hours of supervising the gym and then also do classes. And in exchange, they're allowed to use the gym environment to recruit people to personal train and ultimately get their income. So how much do they get paid per hour? Have they got paid for those 15 hours? They don't get paid because they are a- Oh my God, yeah, what? They, they don't get paid free for 15 hours. So they have, so in exchange for them being able to use the gym facilities to personal train, they have to do 15 hours of supervising the gym. And also within those 15 hours comes doing free classes for pure gym members and also leafleting and cleaning as well. Because they, the argument is they've got open access to all these people who are potentially Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what their argument is, but when you were telling me about this earlier, I thought you meant they had to work there and they were paid like whatever no, shitty rate no, pure no, gym. No, no it, for free. Yeah, so just, just okay. so it's like, it's right? even further. And then, and I'm not 100% sure on the stats, not, not the stats, sorry, the sums on this, but. Um, the other model is that you can rent space at Pure Gym, which means you pay Pure Gym, in London I believe £600 per month, and in Scotland I know it's £400 per month to just be in their space, being able to recruit people so, yeah, for personal training. As you say, they have access then to all these members, Yeah. so the argument is they're paying the company for what, like the advertising and the space, basically. Basically, and so on top of that also, sorry I forgot to say, they have to pay £240 per year for the Pure Gym uniform. Oh really? I didn't like that. Yeah. So how much uh, can you charge them as a personal trainer? So it's really difficult. What I know in London is the average rate is between around thirty-five to forty pounds an hour, but that's in London. So how Pure much? Gym. How many hours would you have to work a month to make back six hundred pounds? Like that's already taken away it's such a huge chunk of your income. It Basically, is. Any PT I know that you need to, to be a decent PT and earning decent money, mm. you need to be working maybe. I don't know, nine, ten hours, man. A day? Yeah. Like nine to, or ten hours a day. And they work, and they work seven days a week yeah, seven as well. Seven days a week, it's no joke. And one of the, one of the things that are just, honestly, it's so disturbing. And when I, I was saying to Saskia earlier, when I first moved to London, I had zero money. I was doing my masters, I was working full time, and Pure Gym was like a savior to me because it's like, oh my God, I can afford to do my favorite thing, go to the gym because it's 25 pounds a month. Over the course of the years that I've lived in London, I've worked out Actually, how were they able to charge such low rates for gym membership? It's because they treat their staff like shit. Like it's actually, I mean, I've been told that it's not all of the gyms are like that, but if you look at the model, like it's just completely open to exploitative behavior. Like it's it's shocking. I mean, there's no wage involved, there's no HR. You're not an employee, so you get no benefits. No, there's, there's no, holiday no, pay, no holiday pay. No holiday pay, no pensions no like childcare vouchers, like nothing. And if you look at the, the, the socioeconomic arguments around as well, 
The people that are more likely to be PTs are of a certain demographic, i.e. people that are more likely to be working class and have less qualifications. <laughs> and that in itself I find really problematic because being a PT is really difficult. Like, it's a, it's a skill. It's, a, it's really important, I believe, anyway. And then the other thing, the low consumer bracket of who uses Pure Gym are not people that can necessarily afford personal trainers. Yeah, and so they're, they're not so necessarily going to want to pay for yeah. an hour... So you have access to all these thousands of members who aren't necessarily going to want anything to do yeah. with your service. And then you're like, oh no, you need to make your classes really good because then you're going to get more clients. There's a lot. I'd be really interested to see a comparison with higher engines that charge, you know, like £100 a month. No, well, Gymbox, yeah. which I know is exact, runs on the exact same basis. Yeah. I don't know that... Is Gymbox more expensive? Gymbox is about like nine in London. Gymbox is like ninety to hundred pounds yeah. a month. It's like a neat gym. But like, what about like yeah, like Virgin Active, or like yeah. David Lloyd, or one of my friends who works in Gymbox. So he splits his time between the city one and can't the other one. But the people that go in there are from the city, so they have disposable income. Mm. Yeah, to an extent, no. To, because they oh, because stop. Of, come on people no, from the city have to no I don't, mean, I don't mean that I just mean <laughs> the extent to which are how much are they likely to get a PT or not because gym box if you go there it's like a fucking nightclub yeah, it's like, a nightclub. like it's those are really nice gym yeah, so what's but see my mate Jake off the back of that he gets good clients yeah and also you can be like yeah it's 100 pounds now and people be like oh yeah, yeah that's, that's loose change I have that in my wallet right now but it creates there's so many different tensions that it creates. Like you notice, we well don't, you don't. I don't necessarily notice. I'm not properly internal within the PT world, but it creates competition between these people that are having to facilitate. That's the point, isn't it? With which they're not. That's the point. It it's pits shocking. workers against Work, each other. Yeah. And like by making them self-employed, like you know, it's what the government is saying. Like, oh, you know, more people are employed than ever before, and people go like, oh, it's in like precarious jobs. Like this is such a classic example. Like all those people. Okay, ten years ago, they might not have had jobs, but now they have they are self-employed, so they go into the government statistics, but actually the protection for those workers is nothing. nothing. There is no protection. They can be fired tomorrow because they're self-employed, so they can just be like, oh, well, sorry. Like, being self-employed is so much more difficult. Mm -hmm. You, like, you know, you don't have to pay as high national insurance contributions. So that's basically, that's not even a benefit if you don't have pensions, if you don't have any kind of rights over your work if you don't have anyone to complain to if you're being mistreated because no one gives a shit. But this is it's quite interesting, this kind of spins at that. So when I look at the kind of the real world implications, so when I speak to a lot of my friends and they say, oh, I'm going to a PT, so they have this kind of entrepreneurial spirit in their life. Yeah, they have yeah. lots of money, but they have no idea or no concept of how to run an, their own business because they're effectively yeah. they're self-employed. So they don't understand the idea of like sorting out their taxes. Or yeah. what, what are you, a sole trader? Or do you trade as a company? Yeah. And they come up with all these big ideas because they see these big headlines being about being yeah. entrepreneurial. So they think, saying, oh, I'm going to run my own business. Said, You've got a brand. That's an idea. Mm. But you don't have a business. Mm. So they've got a big ideas in their head, but they have no business plan. But this is something we talk a lot about in sociology is how in the kind of culture we live in at the moment, everything becomes marketized. So like everything about your life becomes about being competition with other people about how you can sell yourself. Mm -hmm. So that goes for everything. Instagram. Like Instagram, dating, like Tinder. Okay, like, you know, it's useful. <laughs> single people in this room have used it. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, you know, you can look at it as like those you're putting people in competition with each other based on how they can sell themselves on a profile. You know, all those things. And then it becomes, you know, work, 
obviously sales jobs have always been like that you're competing with each other to sell the most mm-hmm. you know, whether you think that's right or wrong but then that becomes everything so that becomes schools suddenly like schools competing over who can get the best grades universities are competing over like how few of their students drop out commit suicide or mm-hmm. how much they earn at the end of a certain point and you know then it becomes like your job if you're self-employed you're competing with all the other self-employed people but actually like most people are not equipped to be self-employed because the amount of knowledge you need Mm -hmm. to survive in that system is so much greater than if you go to work and someone gives you a payslip at the end of the month. They've sorted all that for you. Essentially, trying to understand the dynamics. Not everyone is as driven to run it because I said, like, you understand, like, basic concepts that I learned when I was working. Like, when I say someone, do you understand what pipeline is? They're like, what's that? I'm like, so it's the amount of customers, the business you have coming through past your one customer. Yeah. A constant flow of pipeline. Like, oh no, so, so that's what happens if you don't lose two customers. What do you do then? Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, we're going to find more. Well, I'm like, you need to think of these things, yeah. you can start thinking yeah. further. But how it's all sold to them is sold to them like in a dream. I know, yeah. exactly. And they make it seem like they've got so much control yeah, over you their destiny. Choose your own hours. But, but, they ha- but they haven't. And also, <laughs> the other thing that Pure Gym is starting to do is take away something else. That the PTs I think had and what made it I mean, probably made the experience slightly better for them is they're slowly rolling out um, they're not paying for their music license in lots of the gyms it started off in my gym and I know it's, it's slowly going to the rest of them and um, it's to cut, cut costs it's always about cutting costs so now the instructors are having to use a pure gym it. no they, they, have, they use a they, have music. Music. they did their own music book they had to sing over yeah. the tannery create their own bespoke class yeah. I mean there, there must be some enjoyment in doing that to an extent yeah. but now Pure Gym are slowly taking that away and making them use a Pure Gym app which has music on okay. that is the karaoke version what I would describe of original songs okay. so they're even taking that away from them like, they're like these robots that are just facilitating these five directors and 680 employees in a company that's worth 70 million like it's insane yeah, the thing is if that's what you're <laughs> promising to customers like you and your pay 25 pounds a month no matter how you they have a they have to please their shareholders so their shareholders will want more and more profit but if you can't raise the price that your customers are paying then you have to find that profit in other ways but i think right i i'm not necessarily saying that people would pay more i'm not saying that at all but i don't think people realize how pure gym is oh no i really don't think they do slightly well i've made a point of when i go to classes of telling people do you know she's not not paid to this class and i've been saying but, like, but, but people are funny. For it, example, like yeah. you see iPhones, right? So everyone loves an iPhone. You know, five iPhones coming out. But we know that Apple likes Foxconn to make stuff. Foxconn have been known that the people commit suicide all the time. Also, can I just say, every sociologist I know, I don't have an iPhone. But every sociologist I know has an iPhone. I do have one. I'm getting, I'm getting rid. I'm getting rid. And can I just say, and it's not just. To be fair, it's not just the company, sorry, Foxconn. Foxconn is that it's in China, so Foxconn are, they're the ones that make the actual iPhones. They're parts. parts. put them all together. They're notoriously bad, they, they chain people to desks, people commit suicide all the time. Mm-hmm. And Apple's side, the Google will launch all these investigations into them, but people still buy them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I people. Think- well, no, but it's like all, all smartphones and laptops as well, 
use minerals that are taken from the Democratic Republic of Congo, Congo yeah. which, if you don't know, it's like one of the worst civil wars that's basically ever happened ever. Millions and millions of people have died, and partly it's because companies want to still keep mining those minerals because yeah. they're so profitable. Yeah, like that. Basically, the whole West, like from from rubber to your mobile phones, we've destabilized Congo, but people don't care. Yeah, no one gives I don't care. know. I guess as long as I've got my new mobile, yeah, I don't care. And I guess this that's your sort of both of your points sort of leads me on to what I've been reflecting on, like as a, a young graduate coming to London, I was so excited at the fact that I could um, afford to go to the gym. But as the years have gone on, I've slowly learned more and more about this gym and about how workers are treated. And it makes me think about being complicit in inequality. Yeah. Like, what does that mean now? Like, how much can I justify to myself? I'm still paying 25 pounds a month to use this gym, to go to these classes. But I know these workers are being treated so badly. So I guess it's one of the reasons why I'm going to talk about on the podcast today because I want to just get the message out that the gig economy is just... I don't think it's sustainable. I think it's the point is it's not just the gig economy. I don't know, I think there are two things that I think. Yeah. Well, firstly, it makes you realise why Jeremy Corbyn is actually quite attractive because in that case, having some kind of union for gym workers, yeah. you think, like, actually that, like, if all gym workers went on strike, it would actually really affect people and it would affect people in power because they wouldn't be able to go and do their, like, club nights that are spin classes. Like, they wouldn't notice that. Mm. Like, people wouldn't, like, it might not be an essential service, but, like, I go to the gym all the time, Tuesday yeah. goes to the gym all the time, I've... you go to the gym all the time. So that's, so maybe that's what hopefully we can get to and this maybe can contribute to this is getting a class consciousness within the, yeah. PT, the world of PTs because fitness yeah. and healthy lifestyles is the, the in thing, isn't yeah. it? Like, the, yeah. you're right. It and it, the whole industry runs on people being disposable. I, yeah. But just the second thing I would say is, like, as we just said, this happens all the time in every industry all over the world. Yes. Like, you know, people in supermarkets might have jobs and might get paid, but the people who pick the crops and, like, mm -hmm. sort the potatoes, like, do you know what happens to them? Like, we don't know because we don't see it. And actually, it's hard to care about because if you care about every single person who's been exploited, for you to be able to live the life, that, yeah, you can't do anything. No. You become, like, riddled by, like, guilt and indecision mm -hmm. and your quality of life is shit. So it's it's really difficult. It is really difficult. I mean, the two, the two possible solutions, pure gym, if you're listening, that I have... <laughs> is either and these are really simple ones which i think would just change things for pts substantially pay them to do classes or pay them for the 15 hours work i've had pts so i tweeted about this this week i've had pts contacted me on twitter saying they'd be happy if they would just pay minimum wage for those 15 hours yeah. but instead it's seen as like a bargaining chip for them to use the gym equipment to train to train people Wait, which no. they might not necessarily get like, it's open christmas day as well so this is a pure one of their usp stories yeah. that they're open all the time but this is the thing at the end of the day, it comes down to it's a private company, it comes down to shareholder value. Like I said, I, I can't, the proposition, my proposition to the market is I'm in low cost and so I'm open to everyone. So everyone can go. And I, so shareholder value, I can't put the price up because oh, then I will lose my USP. Mm. So therefore, I have to cut costs because wages are the biggest cost to any business. They ain't got any. They, exactly. have, they don't have any wages. So if, I keep my, if I keep wages down, then my shareholder is going to be happy. I get my job, I look after my family, boom. Okay. My family, my yachts. My yachts. <laughs> <laughs> this is how it rolls. And the thing is, 
what makes people up, it's the, it's the unfairness of it all. It, makes, it, ups, it is upsetting, but then... But that is what, it's like when people say like, oh, it's weird, isn't it, how London's got like the richest people in the country and the poorest people in the country. And it's like, yeah, those two things, it's not like an accident that's, that, that that's happened. <laughs> those people are earning that much money because they're relying on the labour of people who have paid nothing. Like, that's how it works. Like, that is why no one can afford to buy houses anymore and they end up homeless. It's because of those... Oh, it's, that's all part of the same system! That's capitalism, kids. <laughs> I personally like... <laughs> so, Saskia, what's annoyed you this week? Um, so what's annoyed me is something that pretty much the whole world is talking about right now, which is... Harvey Weinstein, who has been accused of rape and sexual assault and harassment, basically any kind of violence against women, he's done it. Yeah. And um, there's been this huge furore, and lots of people will have seen the campaign um, on social media, which is hashtag me too, where women and some men have been posting their experiences of assault and harassment and then that's been responded to with another campaign which is hashtag how will I change which is men saying having suddenly realised that all women are harassed all the time how are they going to change their behaviour in order to address that I find this a really difficult subject to talk about and think about because I think, you know, as a woman, when you start being harassed from such a young age and it becomes such part of your daily life that you hate so much, in a way I find it really upsetting when men turn around and like, oh my god, really? And you're like, yes, really, mm. asshole. Like, you know it's true, you've had those conversations, either you've been talking about it or your friends have been talking about it and you've heard them degrading women or like, you know, whatever it is that men talk about when they're alone together. Like, you have seen men harass women in public, you've seen, and or maybe you've even done it, like seen your male colleagues like talking down to women or harassing them or humiliating them. Like, you know what's happening. For you to suddenly start your How Will I Change campaign, which also, when I was looking at it earlier, was full of men being like, I'm going to stop my friends being so misogynistic. It's like, what about your misogyny? Like, the point is, what I think this case shows is the extent to which we are all living in a patriarchal society. So Harvey Weinstein, in a way, was just doing what all people in positions of power do, which is exploit those who are in a weaker position. But obviously in the case of men and women, it's usually women who are in the weaker position and men who are in the stronger position. Um, and I don't think this case is gonna change anything. It changes nothing. Like just how like Trump being called out changes nothing. Trump is the president. Like this, these two cases have been compared a lot because Trump is, you know, all the people on the right or his supporters or whatever are being like, oh, you know, you Democrats or you lefties, you think you're so holier than thou and that like you'd never do anything like this. Well, like Harvey Weinstein, he's Jewish and he's a lefty and look at him like he's a rapist, he's disgusting, like, you know, he's worse than Donald Trump. Like, firstly, all men do this. It doesn't matter if they're left wing, it doesn't matter if they say they're a feminist. Like, some of the worst men I've ever met are feminist men. It's just bullshit. Uh, like, all men in positions of power have the potential to do this. All men who aren't even really in positions of power have the potential to do this. Um, and, like, the right are loving this because they're like, you know, he proves that you guys are all hypocrites. Um, and, you know, there's all this stuff about the Oscars. 
kicking Weinstein out and saying, you know, we don't want him in our club anymore. But the fact is, the people in the Oscars have known he's been doing this for years and years and years. Suddenly, Weinstein is like persona non grata and he's a rapist and he's a terrible person. Although very few people are saying rape, they're all saying sexual assault and, you know, whatever. We Like, you know, but it's alleged. He said no, he didn't know it was non-consensual. Yeah, that's the lesson. <laughs> Newsflash. Yeah, so I'd like to ask you, Saskia, just for some of our listeners who might not be, um, well, they'll be familiar with the term but not necessarily the definition. What does patriarchy mean? Okay, so um, patriarchy is the system where it's actually translated to rule by fathers. (laughs) (laughs) The literal translation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so initially it's a society, and I would say this is like 99.9% of societies in the world where men are in positions of power relative to women. And that is the case. So, like, you know, it's societies where men hold positions of power in kind of like public offices. So, um, you know, whether that's political parties, whether that's companies or whatever. Um, and also in private sphere, like, so like in families and stuff, uh, men hold more power than women. And obviously, there are cases where you have women who are relatively powerful in a situation, but um, the whole way in which society is run is run for the benefit of some men. So, like, a classic example is women do like 75% of the world's work and own 10% of the world's property. And, like, so another thing that people talk about in terms of patriarchy is the idea of rape culture and Harvey Weinstein has you know kind of been sort of put up as like the personification of rape culture but it's a it's a culture where um, the sexual subjugation of women is an integral part of the way we live and so that can be like literal rape or like in which rape is normalized and seen as acceptable so i think this is really interesting because basically what harvey weinstein is doing is totally normalized and acceptable it will carry on after this it's been happening for like centuries before now i think one of the things that i has frustrated me slightly about this case is like you said like it's like hello yeah this has been this is part of our daily lives like just because a couple of middle class white women are now telling you about it uh, is going to make the national news. I think it's... Uh, I, they're not just middle class white women though, they're like incredibly famous yeah. women who... I don't know, I think it's an interesting one because like actresses always have to play the role of being subservient to men, even if like they're playing like the bad or the villain in the film. Yeah, no, and this is another thing that like obviously Hollywood is incredibly sexist. Like if anyone has seen a Hollywood film, okay, I'm sure there are a few like good exceptions, but in most Hollywood films, women play the role where they are sexually appealing to men and if they aren't then they're a lesbian or they're a deviant or like you know there are so few ways to be a woman in that context is it really a surprise that the women who are playing those roles are treated in that way like they're basically treated as like sexualized commodities that you know like the number of people who are complicit in this case it's like you know the producers it's the casting directors it's the agents who put these women up for these auditions Mm -hmm. and then these women complain we're just like well that's just the business like get over yourself Mm -hmm. you know but the thing is like they are famous and they have in this case been able to use some of their power to talk about it but like there are so many women who this happens to all the time and i guess me too highlights that but the fact is the me too 
hashtag was started by a black woman 10 years ago and it's only taken off because a famous white woman used it like you know there are so many like so in, again in America like this never makes the news but um, when you look at the whole Black Lives Matter campaign it's all about black men being killed by the police which obviously is a problem in America um, but another big part of it is black women being raped by the police. The news never covers this. It is never in the news. Like Obama was trying to do stuff about it and even Obama could not change the national conversation in any way because no one wants to hear about it because no one cares because... Raped and killed by the police. Raped and killed. And there was, yeah, Kimberly Crenshaw set up the campaign to say her name about women that had been killed by the police. Kimberly Crenshaw is a really cool academic. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's what, what's news about what's news value? Yeah, what's news value? Like, yeah. why is this why is this news now? I think yeah, this is what bothers me about it. Why is it news now? And in a way, I guess you could say it's because maybe Hollywood's realised that people don't find that aspect of it acceptable. So if it has this huge purging where it pins it all on this one guy who's known for being a creep, probably no one liked him anyway, and maybe his day, you know, it's kind of like a bit late now. He's already, what, been nominated for like hundreds of Oscars. Hmm. His films have made billions and billions of dollars. He's already been in control of part of, you know, the media conversation. It's too late, isn't it? It's too late. It's like, yeah, like, okay, well, his day's kind of over or, you know, like his power is not as great as it once was. It's like Jimmy Savile, everyone called him out when he was dead. You know, like, yeah. it's easy to do then because he's not going to sue you for libel. Like, all these things, there's a reason they come up in the news when they do. And it's not usually to many people's benefit. It's not to the benefit of, like, children or women mm. who are being raped and sexually abused by powerful men. Mm. You see, I, I don't know, I've been looking at this issue as well. And it kind of picks into, like, it, it slightly comes, comes across into my research in this kind of idea of misogyny online. To me, it's a kind of more of a kind of a bigger crisis in masculinity, how men see themselves and how men are reacting to feminism. Can I just say, do you really think there's a crisis in masculinity? Because I don't see why this is any different from any other kind of masculinity that's come from. I, I see it in the same way, it's in the same way as white people see themselves as under threat from multiculturalism, and you think, well, how can that be because white people are at the top? <laughs> the men are saying, how can people think, how can men be under crisis from feminism? Some men genuinely feel that. They feel that feminism is emasculating them. Right. So this is the discourse that's online. They oh, they mean that kind of crisis of masculinity. Yeah. I was thinking like, you know, because <laughs> on the other side of it, people talk about the crisis of masculinity in the men feeling emasculated, so going out and like abusing women. So to kind of like, to put this in perspective, there's online, there's this thing called the manosphere. The manosphere is a collection of men's rights activists. So you can go from anywhere. What is men's rights, T? So you can go from, <laughs> go from anywhere. So something like men's health being neglected. That's a man, that's a man issue. So like guys not getting checked. Um, what's it? What's it called? Prostate. prostate cancer. Don't point at your bum. <laughs> <laughs> so from prostate cancer, that's quite like mainstream yeah. to the kind of crazy shit that you never want anyone to see. Talking about Does right. Does for justice come into yeah. it? Yeah. Exactly. That yeah. kind of comes into the manosphere yeah. kind of thing, men's rights. Mm -hmm. So the manosphere kind of gained momentum against a reaction against second wave feminism. Mm -hmm. So when second wave feminism hit and they started criticising men, well, generalising they meant all men are rapists and all this kind of stuff, it was seen as a reaction to that. So you, you have a, a general feeling online and what I've, what I've seen in my research is this it's almost like a kind of very disturbing dark centre of anti-women in all aspects. Mm -hmm. So if a woman seemed to be challenging the status quo in any way, shape or form, she's maligned, 
she's degraded and it's seen as being normal now the kind of guys that are speaking like this initially when it first started there's this thing called Gamergate that happened in 2012 it was an online campaign was it 2014? no I think it's 12 really that long ago? yeah a long time ago well it's uh, basically women doing developing stuff wanting to make a game they were feminists but the reaction from the nerds and the underground was completely out of kilter. It's all about anything against their gender and how women are useless or how women should be raped. But this is a consistent theme I'm seeing across the spectrum. Yeah, so the thing I think about this is, like, in a way that does seem really extreme, like, that woman deserves to be raped. But firstly, women get told this all the time <laughs> on Twitter. But, like, it's not just on the internet this happens. Like, you know, the whole... Yeah, this is a big thing about rape culture. That, you know, like, the woman who gets raped, she was wearing a skirt that was too short, or she was drunk, or she was taking drugs, or, like, well, she'd had sex with him before, so how was he supposed... That's, that's the thing about Harvey Weinstein. It's like, he didn't know it was non-consensual. It's like, he... Like, you know. <laughs> like, you do know that someone wants to have sex with you or not. And if someone's crying, they probably don't want to have sex with you. You know what I mean? Like, stuff like that. But, like, people use those defences or, like, they use that to excuse people who have been accused of rape. Like, we were talking about Roman Polanski. Like, Whoopi Goldberg said he raped a 13-year-old girl while she was crying for her asthma inhaler. And Whoopi Goldberg said, oh, but it wasn't rape, rape. And you're like, yeah, I think it... So, I, it, yeah. in a way, this alt-right thing does seem really extreme, and it is extreme. But on the other side of the coin, it's just, like, taking slightly further what most people use on a daily basis to excuse men who abuse their power. What's scary to me is that I haven't come across this in normal life. Like, we, you encounter levels of misogyny. Mm. Like, from, from stuff that... Like, so did you say you have or haven't come across you, it? No, you have come across, like, so come across the stuff that you see in daily life. But the way, the stuff that's happening online now is so distressing. It's almost like an extreme porn fetishization of it all. Mm. And what's scary is, is how the kind of images and what they're saying and what, they, what they're willing to do to people. And it's, it's not, this is not normal. But it's not, it's not like... I think Saskia's point is slightly that the extreme behaviour around men, let's say in the manosphere, is coming out. Yeah, like I said, like, it's like trying to explain race. It's always there. It's always there. Yeah. However, what's coming out now is a, a kind of a, a more extreme version of it. It's stuff that women, people are willing to do yeah. or they're willing to say. Like, it, that's what's disturbing to me. Like I said, we always know that these systems are always in place. So what are they about Harvey Weinstein, um, for example? On the right, they're saying that these women deserved it. That they were women, to kind of quote the far right on this, Andrew Anglin, who is the uh, editor of Daily Stormer, he's saying basically these women were dried up, they're in their 40s, they knew what they were getting into, they're sluts. This was sluts get. They were selling sex anyway, and so they got what they deserved. That's their position. I think what's really interesting about this, like even that extreme view, and also the way the media have portrayed it as well, is that it's still all is quite a lot of it's still about the women. <laughs> yeah. Like, so this is still about. I think it's really troubling about the Me Too campaign. Yeah. Is it's like say this happened to me, that happened to me, and then being like, oh my goodness. But yeah, there's nothing about like men there's no there's no agency attributed to the men who do it. Mm. It's all about the like victimhood of the women who are targeted. Yeah. I wish there was more conversations about what breeds abuse of women in the workplace from, from, from the men. Yeah, I'm like, why do men rape their girlfriends? Or what is it about our society where we're so comfortable with the idea of 
all being complicit in that because the thing is about patriarchal societies we are all complicit in it, it doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman mm-hmm. like so a really good example of this is Hillary Clinton who if you've seen in interviews this week she's been in the UK a lot she was on the Andrew Marr show she was on Women's Hour and um, both interviewers asked her about um, so she was talking about Trump and how he was really like manipulative and degrading to her, her throughout the campaign so you know there was like the interview with her where he was like following her around but you know just like everything he did was so misogynistic um, and it was really like attacking her like as a woman and so she was talking about the fact that he was accused of sexual assault um, and they were talking about Harvey Weinstein and all this kind of stuff and then both interviews were like well you know we can't really talk about this without talking about your husband Bill Clinton who was convicted of sexual assault um, you know, there's a whole Monica Lewinsky thing where like she ended up carrying the whole burden of a sexual relationship they had uh, and he kind of got away with it basically and Hillary Clinton both times just sort of went, oh well that's not the same, that's not the same as what people are accusing Donald Trump and Harvey Weinstein of and when asked why not she was like oh because that was litigated ages ago and so those women had their day in court and they got to say what they wanted to say and um yeah so it's like not the same it's it was fa- <laughs> it's it's fascinating because i thought both those interviews were so powerful from a feminist perspective and then she said on both occasions that normalizing and justification of bill clinton's actions like it was like wow even you will defend yeah and like I'm not saying, I don't know, I'm not saying like, oh, she should have divorced her husband, but like basically she's compromising herself because essentially she's complicit in providing a space for a man who has behaved appallingly towards women and totally abused his power. And like, just think, how can you really stand up there and say you're an advocate of women's rights when you're basically defending someone who attacks women? Like, it doesn't go together. That's her husband. Yeah, exactly. So, so, sometimes, so it comes that maybe she loves him that much, you know? Oh, whatever. <laughs> See, this is the thing. So, like, it's hot, like... Because, because the thing is, he's abusing her in doing those things. Yeah, he's she, abusing her as his wife. And I'm not, like, you know, I'm not saying, oh, well, it was on her to leave him. But at the same time, it's really difficult to take that from a woman. Like, I don't know, like, as a woman looking at, at a woman who's so powerful, has done so many things, and, you know, has broken back, you know, you can say you like about her background and whatever, like her privilege and all that kind of stuff. But she has broken barriers in American politics that have not been broken before. And she still adheres to patriarchy. Well, no, we all adhere to patriarchy. She's only human, though. So she. I know, I know. But I find that really hard because I'm like, well, what does that say? Those of us who feel totally powerless to speak out against people who've abused us. And it's like, oh, well, that's just what women do. You know, chin up. We just carry on. Like, it happens to all of us. So why complain? I think think you you make good points that she stands up for people, but she's only human as well herself. So she's in a relationship herself. and having to do all these things herself. And so she's open to the same emotions, the same feelings that you go through. So maybe she needs to speak to someone about her problems. <laughs> you know? Probably has. Yeah, Imagine probably how has. therapy those two have had. So this is the thing, I think sometimes people expect too much from our heroes, you know? People that we look up to. Yeah, but I know, I know. But can you also, like, when the contradiction is so direct, to be criticising Donald Trump, for assaulting women and saying that makes him a bad person. Uh, I, I, 
I understand, but human beings are full of control. Yeah, I know. I, I get I that. Know, I get that. I and, but like, sometimes we want we want the want them to be the ideal. I totally agree with you, but symbolically, I just feel like on her part, it is a failing. You don't necessarily have to come to a conclusion on it. It's important to say it and yeah. to get it out there yeah. because otherwise, those interviews just go on like without critiquing. Like, it's, it's more different. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not. It like it should not be normal. Like having to keep quiet about the fact someone rapes you or like that your husband is abusive is not like it should not be normal and yet it is and that's what's problematic about it yeah i think it's trying to challenge uh, like for men trying to challenge accepted behavior what we're normalized socialized and brought up to be really and not just me as a man you as women your people have this identity constructed around gender that we mm-hmm. that you're so that you're growing up with, that you go to school with, that's just reinforced, reinforced, reinforced. From mm. the toys you play with, to what we do. Mm. The clothes we wear, clothes you wear, the ideals you have. And because these are so, they, they haven't existed for so long, mm. they're concretized. So it's hard to imagine a world without these constructs. You start thinking, well, what happens? So this is why we have this kind of, people go crazy when people exist in between that space. Mm. You don't have to classify that. You think, well, if you're not one or the other, what are you? And this is... It's like it challenges everything yeah. you think to be true. Because mm. you start thinking, well, if you're not a man or you're not a woman, what are you? Yeah. And it, that's what we have problems with. These, these gender roles are so deeply entrenched. Mm. Like, I, I, I don't know how you change that behaviour. You need a lot of time. Yeah. On that note, Tiso, what's annoyed you this week? Um, I suppose a thing has annoyed me. I'm going to say the internet, which is massive. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to bring you it down. You topic, <laughs> um, In my research, I, I see a lot of crazy madness from people dropping arms off, heads being thrown off buildings. And I started thinking this has a kind of like a negative impact. And then Saskia forwarded me this, uh, was it a Radio 4 program? It was a Radio 4 program called The Digital Human. It's really great. You guys should all listen to it. Yeah, especially. <laughs> <laughs> And it's about like um, content uh, moderators on in, on Facebook, was it? Uh, so yeah, she was interviewing people who worked on Facebook. Yeah, specifically. Facebook and how, how they deal with the images that they see of extreme pornography or child abuse, child abuse or stuff like that. So I started thinking, well, based on my own consumption of these kind of images of extreme images of people getting hurt, should we have a kind of more of a restricted internet? So a couple of weeks ago, this think tank called the Policy Exchange did a uh, report on online radicalisation. So it's a free chapter report. So at the back of this report, it was focused on a survey asking people, trying to probe the public to see if they wanted the free internet or internet with restrictions. So is this the one where they basically only talked about they, Islamic radicalisation? Yeah, they only talked about Islamic radicalisation and they are a right, they're a right-wing yeah, they're a right-wing, and think tank, yeah. But, but anyway. The whole, the whole focus was... For centrists, they're probably called centrist, themselves. Yeah, yeah. No, but they're definitely right-wing. They're, they're, um, at the back of it was trying to find out how willing are the public to sacrifice some of their freedoms for a, a police thing in it, or do we want the internet to remain free? So I... I don't know where I sit on this. Like, I, I love the internet. I love it because I can look at phones and trainers and <laughs> look at all the stuff I love and look at history stuff and anything you can think of, you can find. But also, now that I've started doing my research, I see how people they use it in ways that you'd never think they would use it. And so, yeah. to look for stuff from drugs, because like, the, the internet just reflects human beings, what we're yeah. like. So, people will use it to look at the most obscene stuff. and. I don't know. Are we 
ready to be exposed to that much. Yeah. Well, I think what was really interesting about that program, um, which is called the Sinises, was all the people who did it basically, well, thinking of being trained, were not trained at all. Like, it was the lowest of the low job at mm -hmm. Facebook because, in a way, it's like, it's Facebook's USP, it's Twitter's USP, yeah. whatever. It's, a, it's totally open. You can look at whatever you want. You can find whatever you want. You can find out what you want about people. Like, it's about people sharing content in order to generate profit for mm -hmm. Facebook. And the flip side of that is you can share anything you want, including, you know, extreme porn, like Islamic State mm -hmm. can share its beheading videos and, you know, like, it has that capacity built into the way it exists. So these content moderators, yeah, like, you know, this guy was saying that they had to wear different colour badges. Yeah. Yeah. Like, they're literally seen as, like, the scum of the earth. He said that people would see the colour of his badge and not talk to him in the workplace because no one wants to admit that that is the dark side of the internet. Mm -hmm. But you see, do we want a controlled internet? Is it right for the government or private companies to come into your home and start telling you what you can look at? We're on the, aren't we on the way to having a more controlled, yeah, the, but the snoopers charts... The snoopers charts, yeah. the government... Is that what the government called it? <laughs> Well, this is the thing, is yeah. the Guardian's like, oh, is the government breathing down our necks? But at the same time, I bet the Guardian's got loads of articles about like how bad it is that you can <laughs> radicalise vulnerable people by showing them extreme content. Like, it is affecting. It affects the people who moderate it. It affects you too, so it affects... Like, anyone who has to look at that stuff or read that stuff on a daily basis, it is... It has a cause, and, it has a cause and effect on your mind, I suppose. Yeah. Coming from a libertarian point of view, do we want government intervention into your personal life? It, because it becomes the government trying to police thoughts. Mm. Because do we want government to tell you what you can look at, what you want to do? So a situation like in China, China doesn't have an open internet. No. The government decides what people can look at. Mm. Now, do we want to replicate that here? At the moment, the government's pushing for companies to do more. So it's not the, even the government that's doing it. It's Facebook, Google, who are profit-driven, deciding what you look at. Google will automatically always do this at the moment. So in your feed, Google and Facebook have algorithms to make you look at a certain things that you, you select all the time. Mm -hmm. So my feed's full of, it's full of either old rat stuff, comics, or trainers. That's what Google's telling me that all the time, without even me asking, and they slept, and I think racing, randomly. <laughs> You seem like the kind of guy who'd fall into gambling, so addictive personality, they've got you down. But it's just, it's just, it's just they send you. But it's private companies, the UK government trying to incentivize private companies to police your private life now. Yeah, to it, police what yeah. you do, and that's that's quite worrying. But that's the thing; it's like even if you introduce government control, like at the moment, it's pri it's all in the hands of private companies. <laughs> it's all about advertising. It's all about how could they make money out of you on the internet. Yeah. The other side of it is it would be government controlling it. Yeah. Basically, whatever way you look at it, people are incapable of policing themselves. This is this is this is this <laughs> They're is not. They this don't. Is, this is what's kind of scary. Left to your own devices, people look at it's insane. From like I said, the, the, the most shocking thing I've seen someone getting pushed off a building. Now, why I don't, are we? Why did you see that? It's part. Of, it's, well, sorry, it's part of one of the um, Islamic Islamic State videos that I saw. It's, it happened to be in the policy exchange report that I was reading about. And so you looked it up? No, no, they, they had it, they got the pictures of it in, in their report. Oh my god. And they also got the same, that same report, because there's a ISIS video showing how to be instructing people how do you cut people's hands off. 
So they teach you how to cut people's hands but off. But this is what pisses me off about the policy exchange units research and their report. Mm. Obviously, ISIS are a very big problem at the moment. Mm. But there is also stuff happening on the internet, casual racism, stuff produced by the alt-right, which is so problematic and arguably creating an, a... Radicalisation is fluid, as we know, um, but it's creating this normalised culture of sectism, racism. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that no, I know. Really... So, like, it's... what that makes me think of is I can totally imagine that report being posted on, maybe not Britain first, yeah. but, like, on an alt-right page. Yeah, I told you so. Being like, yeah, look, <laughs> look at what these bearded bastards are doing. Oh. And then they're writing on, and one of the first things you ever showed me, Tiso, Tiso has enlightened us about the appalling alt-right things that are out there, was some article about a woman who had done something they didn't like, so she was a woman, and she was Jewish, and there was some, there was a picture of, like, her face on a lamp. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, why on earth would they put her face on a lamp? And you were like, oh, because that was the rumour of what the Nazis used to do with Jewish yeah, people's yeah, skin. Yeah, so, <gasps> so you stretch this, make a skin lamp. But That's you, what I mean, that, but that, we're not, I don't feel like the government are focusing on that as much. Yeah, well, this is what this think tank tells me, obviously there's so, bigger things. Is it Amber Rudd? Amber Rudd, yeah. So she's saying, basically, to make it a crime for people, if you keep going to these extreme websites, yeah. it's be a punishable offence by law. Um, but what, How do you prove that? IP address? I, I assume so. I'm not too sure. They kind of pay would go back in. Because at the moment, I was talking to someone about this the other day who works in IT, and he said, it's re it's like really, really hard. So even when you you get caught with loads of child pornography or something on mm -hmm. a hard drive, mm -hmm. it's really, really hard to prove that they downloaded it and they... If you, if you know what you're doing, like, you can even get an app. Because most of some of the stuff, some of the extreme websites, so the Daily Stormer has been kicked off the mainstream internet and go to the darknet. The darknet is basically the darknet is unlisted websites. Stuff that if you go into a Google search it won't appear. Can you go on the darknet? Yeah, anyone can. All you need is a piece of software called a tour and you're in. But the thing is, surely so few people do it that it's pretty obvious who's doing it. I I think the way the tour works, it bounces IP addresses off everywhere, uh, okay. so it's, it's hard to track, but it's, right. all it is is unlisted websites, right? Well, I think quite a few people are using it, because yeah. I people buy drugs. Yeah, so, yeah that's what I was thinking. But, yeah. and it's, like I said, you can get it on your phone, it's that simple. So this IT guy said to me, like, oh yeah, no, you probably can't access it, but I was thinking, yeah. everyone, if everyone buys their pills that way, then... Yeah, it's just, <laughs> um, no, um, I just think to myself, like, do we have to get to a point where, at the moment, we can do what we want, look where we want, go where we want, do we want to get into the kind of 1984 situation where people are kind of policing your thoughts almost? Mm -hmm. What you can look at, what you can't look at, what's, what's good content, what's bad content? Who, who's deciding this? Well, it's going to be interesting to see consequences of the freedom we have on the mm. internet. And in particular, I don't know if it's going to be connected to whether they're going to make some sort of connection. I think there potentially will be. But crime mm. is up. Yeah. Um, in the yeah, yeah, official yeah, crime yeah, 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 exactly. to Anyone who studied criminology, a big part of criminology is studying the crime drop, how crime yeah, been yeah, reducing yeah, since um, the war. And now it's going up. And now it's gone up. Yeah, but the thing is, yeah, like, that could be so violent. I know, of course, of course. <laughs> but violent crime <laughs> in particular has gone up. Obviously, there's lots of consequences like austerity, um, economy. Correlations does not imply causality. Yeah. No. <laughs> but, no, of course. Well, no, this is an interesting thing as well. Silicon Valley ideology is that freedom is... Libertarian, yeah. Like a God-given right and no one should take that away from any person. 
and I was listening to this program once where they were talking about like uh, sort of Silicon Valley ideals of like what a state would be like and they were talking about you know like it'd be amazing if you had just free floating kind of almost like islands but you know like basically every individual is a state and everyone makes their own rules about how they live their life but you see that's interesting because wow. that was the, the idealised version of the internet when it first introduced yeah. it it's a, market, it's a marketplace of ideas of free exchange yeah. so anyone can exchange your idea and nothing happens but that's, we know that's not real life. Because yeah, so what ha what happens in states where you only have private, and like, you know, you can see the effect of places where private companies or like individual interests are their only interests. So we have it to a certain extent in London. Like talking about TSO is issues with democracy <laughs> and freedom. Yeah. Which are often, which are, I think at the moment are very much well, being questioned. Yeah. This, this, this is the thing, I think, what do people value? So. What comes up like often in these kind of debates is like freedom of freedom of discussion, freedom of thought, yeah. the ability to do what you want. I can yeah. do what I want. But as we know, anything like that comes with responsibilities and duties and obligations. But people seem on the internet that doesn't seem to exist. Yeah, as no, yet. yeah. Yeah, you don't have a duty to not post something that might hurt someone else. Exactly. You have so, to own it. So the internet's caught in that kind of interesting position where it's it's still had that libertarian idea that we can have any ideas and say it, mm. yeah. but there's no corresponding duty or responsibility to at the back end of that consequence. Well, and also it's a total false premise as well, because when you Google something, it is not a free exchange of ideas. Like someone's paid for the first page of Google. Like yeah. when was the last time you looked at the 20th page of a You know, like all those things <laughs> are controlled by private interest. Even though the internet is kind of reflective of society, it's not because it's like, it's, it's a whole world mediated by private companies. Mm. It's not like in the real world where we just exist. It's mediated through Facebook or whoever your ISP provider is. It's a, it's a whole different world, but we've translated our, the ideals of Western enlightenment into the internet and I don't it know, hasn't, it, hasn't, it hasn't worked. You start policing this, like, do we want the, do we want the, the chaos and the free fall and all these people doing what they want, saying what they want, or do we want to kind of start to regulate this? Mm. Do we need to regulate that? Because like I said, the amount of craziness out there is just loads. I can't emphasize <laughs> how much there is, there's just loads. Yeah. And this, the scary thing is, never before in human history does information travel so fast. Exactly. And to, to around the world. So, for example, the, the Earth's flat, this is the big one, the flat Earth theory. This has been disseminated around the world. I, I didn't even know it was a thing until someone came in and told me. There's a group of people online. Yeah. Well, not even, like my, some of my friends truly believe this. My friends, no, purely based on internet research that they've been shown, what links sent to them, they believe the earth is flat now. Mm. I, I was going back to um, On Liberty by John, John Stuart Mill. He's a philosopher. He's, he's a philosopher, a 19th century philosopher. And he said um, one thing about liberal states is the idea of dead dogmas. He said basically truths will reveal themselves when you allow lots of contradictions effectively. So the amount, one day before the earth is flat and then everyone argued against it and wanted to be discovered it was round. Yeah. And through falsehood, you can find truth because we keep talking. And I think this is this is ultimately what I would hope to happen. Yeah. But at the moment, there's so many dead dogmas around. I think it gets confusing for people. Mm -hmm. I think people find it hard to kind of, especially in the age we live, people doubt truths and doubt authority. Sick of experts. Sick of experts. So they look for their own experts. So they go to YouTube, and your pal's an expert. Yeah. So he, it's a YouTube video that does that. Mm. And so, like I said, the, at the moment, like I said, I don't know how do we do this. And 
because the internet is at this stage, people on the far right are exploiting this. So Paul Golding will go in there yeah. and he will talk about his version of Islam. You have people telling outright lies, but they're convincing people. And I think, well, does government have a role to step in and say Well, yeah, news outlets are always full out. Like, look at Hillsborough. <laughs> like, that's such a classic example of a newspaper going, okay, well, we've decided this is the truth, so any shred of evidence that's opposite, <laughs> we are going to discredit it. Yeah, no, I, 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 get, I get that, but I think what's more insidious about the internet is that everyone has it on them. There's no, there's no break between you. So, for example, if you're a 15-year-old boy, you're up in your bedroom by yourself, you and the, you're connected to this. Mm -hmm. You walk around with your phone, everyone's got a phone. So mm -hmm. Everyone's connected in a way that they weren't, to, weren't in the past. Mm -hmm. So the narrative was usually controlled by the editors in Fleet Street or whatever. Yeah. But they're a small group of people. But now it's personalised to be. And this is quite scary, so you can choose your poison. <laughs> and literally people are choosing their own poison. I don't know. I say, no, go ban the internet. <laughs> It was a mistake. I think it was a mistake. It was. I don't think people were ready for this. <laughs> I don't, I don't we have unleashed the whirlwind. I don't think they were ready for the unintended consequences of the internet. You've been listening to Surviving Society with Tiso, Saskia and Chantel. We'll be back every two weeks with a new episode, so don't forget to subscribe.